and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. What would you say if I could give you a chance to be mentored by the world's leading international thought leaders, authors, speakers and change makers? Well, from the 25th to the 31st of August, we are launching our free seven-day online summit with 21 very inspirational human beings that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, cognitive psychology, spiritual psychology, evolutionary biology, genetics, medicine, and philosophy to help the audience understand how their unconscious habits and thought patterns affect their ability to build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. To find out more, go to katherineplano.com forward slash summit. But wait, there is more. We have a super exciting announcement, our first Australian tour for Be Undeniably Awesome, which is also happening in August, where I will be sharing with you 12 powerful tools to rocket fuel your transformation. As you know, we are on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Sometimes there is no next time and no second chances. Sometimes it's now or never. So what are you waiting for? Don't give it another thought. Take action today and go to katherineplano.com forward slash tour. All links will be found in the show notes for dates and location. This week, we have another super amazing guest for you, Elizabeth D'Alto, known for her raw, honest, and grounded approach to leadership, growth, and connection. Elizabeth is the creator of Wild Soul Movement, an author, and the host of the popular Truth Telling with Elizabeth D'Alto podcast. Elizabeth works with women internationally through her digital programs and speaking engagements, and more intimately through in-person retreats and workshops, and occasionally one-on-one engagements. Her greatest mission in this life is to help those who identify as women worldwide to reclaim and redefine their own womanhood, and contribute to a new paradigm of culture where it is both safe and natural for women to love, trust, and accept themselves fully. In 2013, Shape Magazine listed her alongside Dr. Oz 
Ellen, Jillian Michaels, Tim Ferriss and more as the top 30 motivator. She has written for and been featured in Marie Claire, New York Magazine, US News and lots more. Aside from being a prolific creator and community builder, she's an insatiable learner and one who loves spas, bathtubs, dancing, especially salsa, reading, traveling, spending time in nature. And she has a laugh that has been described as a sound bath of sunshine and joy. It's now time to tune into this one very soulful human being and joy. Well, I'm super excited today. We have another amazing guest for you. We have Elizabeth D'Alto, all the way from Los Angeles. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you. So the way we start the show is always love to unpack our Woman of Inspiration's story. So what's your unique story? And tell us how you got to where you are today. So I've worked in several different industries, but the real kind of pivot point that got me on the trajectory to where I am right now is it was 2012 and I was a personal trainer in a little boutique studio in New York City. And I had created this lower body conditioning exercise class called Aspire, which is A-S asterisk P-I-R-E. And uh, the person who ran the studio had a lot of like PR and like fashion industry and celebrity connections. So we actually got invited to create a video from MarieClaire.com of some movements from my class. And so he hired like a film crew and hair and makeup and all this stuff. And back then, I was in the quote, best shape of my life. And when I say best shape, I mean like culturally sanctioned slash approved, you know, like I was super fit, lean, muscular, had my own four pack and visible abs and all that stuff. And so even so, they put so much makeup on me. I have a lot of freckles. You couldn't see my freckles. I have very curly hair. They straightened my hair. Uh, they like made, put my hair half up, half down. These were all things that I wouldn't do if I was working out, you know, like I wouldn't be wearing a ton of makeup. I definitely wouldn't be wearing lip gloss. I wouldn't be wearing my hair half down. And the worst part was they actually painted contour lines on my stomach. And I was like, y'all, I have my own abs. Do you have any idea how hard I've worked for these? And what I started to realize in that moment, because I'd already had my online business for like a year and a half where I was really hoping to use fitness as a vehicle to help women connect to their bodies, not just manipulate their bodies, uh, was that I was part of the problem in allowing these people to do their best to create the image of me that they approved of, that I was more part of the problem than I was helping the problem. And as well, at the same time, something that was happening was I'd been a trainer for like four years to that point, And I had noticed that a lot of my clients who were much older than me, because I was in my late 20s at that point, a lot of my clients in their like middle to late 30s, 40s and 50s even would come and kind of like vent to me. And they'd be like sharing their problems of what was going on. And sometimes they'd even ask my advice and I'd be like, this is so weird. So um, I just became really curious about what was going on under the hood with people, not just in the externals. And I also noticed, I'm obviously a very observant person. I also noticed that... Um, the things that would come up for people that would wipe out their results would be the things that were not like diet and exercise. It would be personal. It would be emotional. It would be something like big rock in their world. And so I wanted to know more about psychology and human behavior and even energy medicine and the subtle body. So I started studying those things. 
And as I was studying those things, I also got really interested in just looking at different expressions of femininity and things like this. I had always been criticized for being overly masculine and things like this. I was never really prissy or dainty or girly. And so um, I just went on this whole study and really discovered all these different parts of myself that our culture doesn't necessarily say, hey, this is okay, embrace this about yourself, but are totally okay to embrace about ourselves. And all of that kind of led me to my current body of work, which is rooted around a sensual movement practice called Wild Soul Movement that really helps women get out of their heads and into their bodies. And I teach that live in weekend workshops and also as part of my core year-long online women's circle, which is called Power. Wow. I love that. I do have a couple of questions. So through your journey under the hood with people, what were some of the um, significant emotional patterns that you found uh, in women? Not enough. The too much not enough dichotomy, which are you know opposite sides of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as well as how programmed we are to be pleasing in a, in a very heteronormative sense, pleasing to the opposite sex, like pleasing to men. We're very, there are all these ways in which it's like okay to be a woman or not okay to be a woman. It's okay to look this way. It's not okay to look that way. Um, you know, have self-esteem, but not too much self-esteem. <laughs> you know, there's, there's all these sometimes spoken and often unspoken like rules and standards that we're held to. Yeah. Uh, for women in particular, regardless of if you're a woman assigned at birth or, uh, you know, transgender woman, whatever it is, there's just so much put on women in terms of external expectations. Yeah. I really resonate with the pleasing piece. I think I'm one and do it unconsciously. I'm not even aware of it, but I know it makes me feel good. I do it because I love seeing people happy and I think from a, a deeper sense, I probably do it from a, a wanting to be accepted and connected. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, do we, how do we come out of these patterns? This is a great question. I love it. Uh, well, and that's the other really big, another really big core part of my work, which is self-trust. We have to learn how to trust ourselves so that as we're engaging with people and situations and experiences, we can really discern, you know, we can feel in our bodies or we can connect intuitively and know what is true for us, what is right for us, what's healthy for us, and what isn't, right? Because like everything exists on a spectrum. So like you're saying, it's okay to want to make people happy, but if we're doing it from a place of because we're well-resourced, we have the energy or the love or the attention or the resources, time, energy, money, whatever it is to give. If we're in a place where we could be generous, that's great. But if we're constantly sacrificing ourselves, putting our own health at the bottom of our priorities, uh, if we're giving what we don't have to give, that's when it's not good for us. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing you loud and clear, but I find, and I don't know if it's because it's the mother in me. I am a mother, but I don't know if it's that's why I naturally look after people. Uh, and mm-hmm. it just, it makes me feel good. But I know that it also takes me away from the things that I must do, like work, exercise, those kind mm-hmm. of things, self-care. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, there's nuance and complexity to this. So, you know, with motherhood, there's a really big difference between caring for your children uh, and especially up to a certain age, like it switches. I'm not a mom, but I have so many moms and I've had so many mom clients over the years 
you know, there's a difference between being a, a, an amazing nurturer and being codependent. Yeah. Or getting, deriving all of your value from what you can do for others, because then that's hinging your value on how other people receive what you're doing for them. Mm, so and true. a lot of women, and this is a real codependent thing. Uh, it's a real like control freak kind of thing uh, that a lot of people will do too. We anticipate people's needs. We make assumptions about what's better for people based on like what we think, right? We have a lot of needs to be right about how people should be living their lives. We do things for people that they didn't even ask us to do. Then we get upset when they don't appreciate it. Mm. Oh, I can relate to that one. I resonate yeah. with that one, especially with my son. So that's, yeah, I can see that where I assume he needs my help or assume mm -hmm. that he likes the things that I do when that's not always the case. Yeah. And one of the biggest solutions to that is just communication. Mm. Like, hey, I had this idea to do this thing for you. Do you actually need that or no? And for someone to be like, actually, no, I don't. And for you to just be like, okay, great. You know, it's not, it's not offensive. It doesn't need to be taken personally, but like check with people. <laughs> So we're not constantly overgiving and overfunctioning to unreceptive or unnecessary places, you know? So true. I'd like to really go back to self-trust. And I think that's a really big one too that I know from working with many people and we talk about it on the show as well. Trust is a big thing, self-trust. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those steps? Because I know that for myself, I um, – I trust myself to a certain degree and then mm -hmm. I let myself down. And therefore yeah. then my unconscious mind or my deeper part of my mind, a subconscious mind, um, will then not, you know, like, yeah, Catherine, you said that last week and uh, look what you did about that. So what totally. are some of the steps that we can move towards starting to work with that self-trust piece? Yeah, I love this so much. Um, well, first of all, we all have to be much more gentle with ourselves because we break a lot of promises to ourselves because we're making promises we can't keep. Yep. And so being honest with ourselves about what we have, the capacity and ability and resources to do in any given moment is really important. And also allowing ourselves to be works in progress. So many of us think that we can go from like zero to a hundred miles an hour or from like, just to give a super common example that I'm sure lots of women can relate to, like eating a really unhealthy diet or really standard diet to all of a sudden doing like plant-based the next week. That's just not how change, growth, or transformation works. We need to allow ourselves to make small incremental changes over time that will add up to the change or the transformation or the result that we want. We need to be much more reasonable and much more forgiving with ourselves about that it takes some time to change, in some cases, habits that we've had our whole entire lives or to undo the programming and conditioning that we've been functioning with, in some cases, for decades, right? Like in the growth and personal development world, it's always so fascinating to me how people will expect that they could like uh, all of a sudden decide they're going to meditate and then be some like major meditator. Like, no, nah, it might take you like a year, two years, three. It might take you many years to get into a consistent meditation practice. And even just allowing yourself the grace of saying something is better than nothing, I had a woman in one of my groups the other day ask about, you know, being hard on herself and, and not even forgiving herself for not being, not being there yet. Right. And I feel like this is a big part in the process of learning how to trust ourselves. It's a practice. We have to practice is that instead of going, I'm not there yet going, I'm on my way. 
and celebrating the small wins along the way. So when it comes to trust, something else is noticing, just doing some reflection on when are times that you had a feeling or an intuition about something and you ignored it and what were the consequences? Because that'll give you some tangible proof. Ooh, I could have trusted myself there, but I didn't. And then on the other side of that is when did you have an intuition? When did you have a feeling? And even if it wasn't logical or rational, you trusted it and it worked out. So one of my mentors uh, used to say confidence comes from evidence. So we have to really get good at observing ourselves, celebrating as we go, reflecting backwards, seeing how we have made progress and that we're doing better than we used to do as we practice. And then just being gentle with ourselves when we mess up. And then really noticing, uh, again, something I say a lot is these two words, nuance and complexity. I've been working with women around trust for you know five or six years now. And one of the things that is true for everyone, and this isn't actually just for women, this is for anyone, there are going to be some areas of your life where it's much easier to trust yourself than others. Probably for the type of women who listen to your show, I would guess, a lot of them are probably ambitious or successful or like really good at a lot of things. Um, it's easier to trust yourself in the things that you already know you're good at, that you have a proven track record. Uh, it's, it's harder where you don't. And for a lot of women, that might be relationships or that might be things to do with their body uh, or other things. And especially if you've had trauma in an area of your life, it'll be much more challenging to build like deep, unwavering trust in areas where you've been traumatized. So for me personally, my last romantic relationship, which was over two years ago, was with a really emotionally abusive, narcissistic person. And, you know, coming out of that, I had to do a lot of work on A, why would why would I call that in and really look back at some deep like family history stuff. And also uh, my own codependency, you know, we're 50-50 in all of our relationships, right? So I can't totally blame everything on that person. But I can go, you know, how did I bring that in? How did I participate in it? Why did I stay for so long? And unpacking that stuff was helpful to me. And so now as I date, I just move slower. I take my time. I don't, I don't get sucked into just the chemistry because that's just a feeling. I have to pay attention and see how someone shows up, right? I have to watch someone's actions over time and also trust my own intuition and my own senses about a person and how I feel in my body, not just what I think about a situation, not just get into romanticizing or future tripping. Does all that make sense? Absolutely. It sure does. It's, uh, it's brought up quite a few questions for me. So I'm, I'm going to go back to the self-trust from my, what I got from your conversation. The self-trust is don't go extreme on yourself. Like you mm -hmm. said, you know, you don't go like starting next week, I'm going to become a Zen Buddhist and meditate every exactly. single day, right? You're saying one little step at a time. And that's how we build the trust because we're then building the confidence and we're seeing the evidence because we're doing it on a daily basis, but it's that mm -hmm. one little step. Mm -hmm. And you right. know what? It might not even be a daily basis. Yeah. You might be really deep in your practice for like a week or two, take a breather, come back to it. Something in life might come up and, you know, knock you off the path. We're never starting over. I think that's a misconception too. Sometimes people, when they take a break from their growth or they get thrown off their path for whatever reason or their practice, whatever it is, they go, oh man, now I have to start over. You're never starting over because you, you're not starting from scratch. You're not starting from zero. You never went backwards. You just paused, you know, even mm. that frame just doesn't discount all of the progress you had already made. Oh, I like that. That uh, is very different to some of the work that I've done. Absolutely. Because I mean, I think it's from, if we look at neuroscience, they say it takes about 21 days to build um, 
your neural pathways yes. and they say consecutive 21 days. So therefore, mm-hmm. if you get to day 16 and you miss out a day, you've got to start all over again. So it does it does uh, shift gears a little bit in the way that you're describing it because you're actually there's a lot more lightness about it instead of being so strict yeah. on yourself. Yeah. And it's like, you've built a foundation. Like I use a lot of garden analogies. So it's like maybe in that 16 days, you cleared out some space to lay the foundation or to plant the seeds. Maybe you need to come back and actually plant the seeds and let them grow for 21 days. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Elizabeth, if somebody wanted to embark on a new life, because you've worked with lots of people, what would be that one piece of advice that they could start with? If they want to embark on a new life, mm, a new life, a new career, a new way of living, what would be that one thing that you could recommend that they could focus on? Uh, I would say find the biggest source of pain or contrast in your life right now. Everyone has one, even if it's mild, right? Because everything is relative. Even if the biggest source of pain in your life is only, you know, clocking in at like a four on a scale of one to 10, it's still your highest because that's going to show you. What's on the other side of that is something that you really want. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We do talk about pain points. We love asking that question because we believe everyone's got pain points. And um, so on that, what are some of your pain points and what is your way of moving uh, over it, under it, or through it? I like this question. Um, and, and again, I want to, I just also want to kind of like tweak it a little bit. It might not even be a pain point. It might be something that's just like uncomfortable or something that's nagging you or something that you just haven't been able to crack, you know, it doesn't, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be in like an intense amount of pain. Uh, There's nothing in my life right now that I'm in like an intense amount of pain about. But if I had to outline a challenge, I just, I just, (laughs) the last two years uh, were like really deep intensive work for me. So I'm actually in a pretty amazing spot right now. So give me a second. It would be, uh, you know what I'll say is this, at this current moment, I'm actually in the process of releasing someone who worked on my team for four years and replacing her. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, it's, there's a little bit of tedium involved in letting someone go who's been like a really intricate part of the, the really the fabric of my organization for four years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason I have that person is so I don't have to look into a lot of the minutia of the things. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to have to get up in the details of stuff that I don't love looking yeah. at. So, uh, but it'll be super worth it because again, it'll be kind of like reintroducing myself to the nuts and bolts of my own business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, to go back to the gardening analogy that we used before, even though the garden has already been planted and grown, it's kind of like in between harvests when you like raise it until the soil and like, you know, plant the next crop. Mm, absolutely. So you're saying lean into our resistance, basically. It's not, it doesn't have to be a really a pain point, a pain point, but it's more so the things that makes it feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like your scenario, there's a little bit of resistance because there's been a relationship that's been developed over four years. Yeah, yeah. And even if it's not resistance, um, you know, something I like to distinguish between is the difference between resistance and dissonance. Because I think often there's a lot of messaging in the self-help personal development world that says, only do what brings you joy or only do things that make you feel the way you want to feel. And listen, we got to do a lot of stuff (laughs) that we don't love doing that doesn't necessarily feel great to do, 
but in the long term is going to be so good for us, so helpful for us, you know? And so there's a real difference. And this comes back to the self-trust conversation between, yes, when there's just like some resistance, like, uh, I don't want to do it because I don't like it, or that doesn't feel good to me right now. Um, but you know, it would be good for you versus things that are just straight up not for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't resonate. It's not for you. Um, and so I'm not one to force things. I'm not one to say everything is resistance and lean into all resistance. I just think sometimes there, there's a time and place to go, yeah, I don't want to do this, but it's going to be very worth it to do it. Absolutely. It's just going to take you to a whole new level, completely exactly. different vibration altogether. So the other question I have for you, Elizabeth, is along your journey, what has been some of your greatest lessons learned along your way? So a lot of my work since I launched my current body of work, Wild Soul Movement, in 2014, I've talked about reclaiming and redefining womanhood for the 21st century. I've talked about deprogramming and reprogramming a lot of that faulty, limiting, crappy conditioning you know, we all have as women. And even in our global culture, I have many friends who are Australian. So things certainly are unique here to the U.S., but there's a lot of overlapping stuff that we all share. And... Um, but in the past, I'll say two years especially, it just became one of my biggest learnings was around um, intersectional feminism, that I cannot look at reclaiming and redefining womanhood if I'm not also looking at race and systems of oppression and how all of that also works. Because if I have, you know, I'm a mixed race person, I'm Italian and Puerto Rican, so I'm half Latina. Um, and it, my community is very diverse. We have women from all over the world who are all kinds of ethnicities, um, whether they're full or mixed with whatever. And so uh, that is something I really had to study and integrate into my conversations because those, we can't unpack the things that I had been talking about unpacking without also factoring all of that stuff in because those things really impact people's experiences. Mm, absolutely, they sure do. So you were talking about reprogramming. How do we become conscious of our programs and then how do we reprogram our programs? It partially comes back to the thing I said earlier is about noticing the contrast in your life, right. noticing what's going on in your world that you don't want to be experiencing. Yeah. And, and this comes – this piggybacks on the things we were just saying, because some of that will have to do with access and privilege, uh, any system of oppression, you know, if you're in any kind of marginalized population, any marginalized identity or any dominant identity that you occupy is going to impact mm -hmm. your abilities to experience certain things one way or the other, more or, or less, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm overly simplifying that, but I think you get the point. Oh, Absolutely. So once so, we, okay, sorry, oh, continue. Ahead. No, I was just going to say, if we once we notice the contrast, then what do we do with it? You have to decide on just like get started. I'm really into a deep, committed practice. So what I see not working for people because I have a podcast as well for almost four years now, and I, I even for a couple of years was running a short training called Unconsume Yourself because I think people have a tendency to like. It's so much easier to consume and to fact find than it is to actually integrate and apply everything that you're learning. So I'm into a deep committed practice, you know, find a teacher, find a method or a couple of teachers and a couple of methods that resonate for you and go deep, do your work. 
instead of just bouncing around from thing to thing to thing and like cherry picking, Mm -hmm. but not really developing a deep committed practice. And personally, I think especially, um, I don't know if you're into Brene Brown's work at all, but she is a researcher on shame and vulnerability. And one of the things that she says is that for women, our biggest source of shame is our bodies one way or another. And so that's why I'm a huge proponent of also having an embodiment practice. So my wild soul movement practice, for example, is something that um, incorporates movement, sensual movement, like slower. It's not a workout. Uh, I say it's not a workout. It's more of a work in. So slower, more sensual, connective movements, as well as mantra and meditation. So the meditation helps with inner peace. The mantra helps with reprogramming the subconscious mind, right? Because that repetition puts a new vibration, puts a new thought form into the mind to replace some of the crappy ones that we have. Mm -hmm. Crappy meaning like repetitive and unhelpful. And then the movement allows things to come up and move through your body without you even needing to analyze or judge them. You know what I mean? Like emotions get locked into the body. Trauma gets locked into the body. So anything that we could do that's also somatic that allows us to connect with and release so many of the things that we have stuffed over the course of our lifetime is going to help us. Cause so that's part of the deprogramming is we got to release what doesn't serve us. Um, and again, if you are someone who has any kind of like deep trauma, which can mean a lot of things, uh, to actually get some real professional help with that. Like I've seen, I lived in a conscious spiritual community for a couple of years in San Diego Mm -hmm. and I saw a lot of people trying to do like plant medicine or like mushrooms or this and that. And they'd have these breakthroughs, but if they weren't having like the psychological infrastructure to support the breakthroughs, it it wasn't really lasting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You really need a combination of things. It's not just like, I can go go do ayahuasca and now I'm healed. It's usually not the case for someone unless they've already done some of the other work to release trauma and things like that. Absolutely. there's, there's making space for what you want. Cause then with the reprogramming, when you have a cleaner slate, it's much easier to put what you want into your mind, into your experience to practice things. So you're saying that basically, uh, you know, stuck emotions, trauma gets caught up in our body somewhere and it depends whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And so the way that you work with that is through your wild soul movement. So you're actually moving the body as you're you're, uh, repeating a mantra to Mm -hmm. release. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's both, right? It's kind of a metaphysical practice because it's it's releasing what doesn't serve and it's uploading the new programming. Mm, I love that. And with the mantra, do you actually ask your tribe to pick their own mantra or are there certain mantras to use that are more effective? So I, in my power program, I have what's called an arc of power and, and I, I use the arc of power in my workshops as well. We have, there's, a, there's four topics. There's surrender and release, trust and receptivity, wild dreaming and desire, and love and truth. And ultimately, between those eight things, we're connecting in with our power. And so I have written different mantras for each, three mantras for each topic. So there's 12 core mantras that I work with. Um, And I also have an oracle deck that has 44 cards. So there's like another 44 mantras there. But then, you know, in any of my work, people are always invited to feel for if anything resonates better for them, I'll give you an example. So one of the mantras is, it is safe for me to let go of what no longer serves me. Um, 
And one of my women has switched that mantra around for herself to be, it is safe for me to break free. And that's totally fine, Mm -hmm. you know, because that is what, like, as she was repeating the mantra, it kind of just morphed into that for herself. And and that's what I want. I want people, I'll I'll guide them and I'll facilitate and I'll hold the space, but I really want people to be having their own experience. I don't want people to go, oh, well, Elizabeth said, so I have to do it this way. Like, no, if your body is asking for something, even the movements, right? I'm always saying to people, this is what I'm doing. This is a suggestion. If there's something that your body is craving that would feel better to you, by all means, please do that. Because the point is, ultimately, you know you better than anyone could possibly know you, Mm, right? Some of us just don't have access to that confidence and that faith, which is why we practice. Spot on. And the reason I was asking, because once upon a time in my 20s, I did go through a little phase where I went to ashrams and Buddha centers and did lots of the chanting and the uh, mantras and the meditation. And I have to be honest that some of the mantras uh, I didn't, didn't res- always resonate with me. That's why I was asking that question. And I'm sure that our listeners are curious as well. Yeah, yeah, by all means, pick the words that work for you. Mm, Absolutely. So, Elizabeth, if you had to go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I love this question. My answer is always nothing. I love being who I am and where I am. And if anything even minor was different, who knows how it could have changed my trajectory. So if anything, I'd just be like, you're doing great. Keep going. Oh, I love the fact that you answered it that way. It's true, right? We wouldn't be who we are today without all those Wonderful, colorful experiences. Yeah. Mm. So the other thing that we'd love to ask our woman of inspiration as we wrap up the show, if you were to pick up, uh, pick, I should say, not pick up, pick one word that best describes your personal brand, what would be that one word? Untamed. Oh, I love that. Untamed. Are you happy to sort of unpack why untamed? Well, I wrote a book in 2015 called Untame Yourself. Yes. And, and even when I use the term like wild and wild soul movement, uh, untaming yourself and, you know, connecting to your wild soul, it's all about just coming home to your true nature. And so what's untamed for me might look very different to what's untamed for you, right? Like sometimes people hear those words and they think like barefoot screaming naked in the woods. When <laughs> I was just thinking of women running with bulls when you said that. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, for some people, what might be untamed for you, if you're someone who's always been living at the... Um, super attached to other people's expectations of you. Maybe you find yourself going out and doing things and over-functioning and over-giving. Maybe what's untamed for you is like staying in on a Friday night instead of going out and doing something you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, your, your relative is trying to guilt you into doing something and you're like, I'm, no, I'm not available for that. Maybe being untamed to you is just having boundaries where you didn't used to or studying something that like your family wouldn't approve of. So it really does look different for everybody. Mm, love it absolutely love it and the other thing the last question is we love to ask our woman of inspiration to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners so what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today okay so the first one is that everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you and the reason that I say it that way is to really emphasize that there's never been a moment where you haven't been good enough equipped smart enough, gifted, talented, beautiful in your own way, like whatever. It's just a matter of access. It's not a matter of having or not having. So that's number one. Number two is really that self-trust is the jam. 
if you're going to work on anything, like there's so many shiny objects. If you're going to work on anything, work on that unwavering self-trust because on the way to self-trust has to be self-acceptance and self-respect. Those things all lead to self-love. A lot of people talk about self-love. You're not going to love yourself if you don't trust, accept, and respect yourself. Mm. And then the third one is please, please, please make room and space and time in your life for joy. Even if it's just a little bit, any given day, allow yourself to find joy and even like the tiniest things. Like I like candles in my house. I like to have roses. I buy like a dozen roses and I'll spread them out in three or four different vases around my house. Like these tiny, tiny things. Find something that brings you some kind of joy day in and day out. Maybe it's like watching a funny thing on YouTube and you laugh your face off for 30 seconds. Whatever it is, because the world can be really consuming and intimidating and overwhelming, especially now that social media is so incorporated and ingrained in our culture. We're constantly bombarded with everything that's wrong or scary or bad. And it can really seem like things are way worse than they actually are. And like, there's always beauty. There's always joy. There's always love. There's always amazing, miraculous things happening too. So like actively cultivating joy in your life, I think is one of the healthiest things any of us can do for our mental and emotional health. Mm, I absolutely love that all three of them. So Elizabeth, where's the best place for our listeners to find you? My main website is wildsoulmovement.com. And where I like to play the most on social media is Instagram. And on Instagram, I'm at Elizabeth D'Alto. Fantastic. And Elizabeth is uh, going to be coming out in Australia in April. I believe she'll be in Melbourne on the 6th and 7th. So we'll have that all in the show notes and uh, absolutely share that on social media so that people can connect with you and come and check it out. It will be so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for coming on the show. Thank you for your time, your energy. You're amazing. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care of yourself.